Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program, praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. Is that good? Can you hear me? Clear? Nice and clear? All right. If, if at any point, you know, make sure. So I just want to say welcome this morning. Uh, my name is Erwin. I'm the youth pastor here at Renew. Uh, typically, you... Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, typically, I'm in the back room with those kiddos over there. Uh, but today, I get to share the word of... I know. They're, they're pretty awesome. But today, I get to just be in front of you guys and be in front of our whole congregation and share the word of God. And so we're on the topic or the question of what have you painfully waited for? What is something you've painfully waited for? Um, This is a bit embarrassing. I have been single for a very long time in my life. Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, For 26 years, never had a girlfriend. And it was painful for me, right? But it was especially painful for my friends to watch me in my singleness. Uh, they saw me get friend-zoned by multiple people. You know, this is year after year after year. It's, it's terrible. And then the moment a girl did show interest in me, I was like, I don't know how to talk to her. Like, and they were like, dude, go, just go talk to her. Spark a conversation. I'm just nervous. Like, I don't know how to do this. And finally, the moment I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm like confident enough and I can go on a date or something. I go on a date and then like things are going well. And, but then, for some reason, you know, your boy is really smart, has high EQ. I just start playing Pokemon Go on my phone. <laughs> I know, we're going on a hike, it's beautiful, and then I'm just here, like, <laughs> right? Trying to catch Pokemon, and she did not like that, and she told, <laughs> she told me after. Um, I feel like kind of all of this to say, um, God made me wait because uh, I wasn't ready to date. <laughs> And the, I, you, could, you could pull up the next photo. But at the age of 26, right, my wait was over. Yes, yes. And my girlfriend, Michelle, came into my life. And right now, we're actually talking about engagement. We're talking about marriage. Uh, actually, if you look at the photos, that's our two-year anniversary, about like, like five months ago. And then just in winter break, we went to Universal Studios for the holidays. And it was just it was super nice. And... For me, I'm like thinking to myself, my wait is over. This the season of singleness, the wait of singleness is now done. But just because it's done for me does not mean it is done for Michelle. Because she is still waiting for something to solidify that we are no longer single. And what is that? You guys know what it is. Wait, is this the right hand? <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know which hand it is. Uh, I think it's my right hand, right? It's my right hand, right? Okay. It's my left hand. Oh, it's her. Oh, okay. Anyway, but you know what she's waiting for, right? She's waiting for a ring. 
And it's immensely painful for all the ladies who are waiting for a ring. It's immensely painful to wait for a ring. Guys, we aren't as particular. Um, but for the ladies, you know how painful it is to wait, right? She doesn't know when. She doesn't know how I'm going to propose. She doesn't know the size of the diamond, right? I spent a lot of money on that. Um, the only thing she knows is the time of year. I told her early sometime this year. That's all she knows. That's all she's known since last year. She's waited for a while. Sorry. And so in preparation, what Michelle has been doing is that every two or three weeks, she goes to the nail salon. And she makes sure that she has all the gel, everything looks nice and pretty. She's just waiting, right? Like, when is this going to happen? When are you finally going to propose? And I, I know for all of us, right, we have something we're waiting on, right? Some of you are waiting on love. So you're checking your DMs. You're checking your Hinge account. Online dating is normal now, you know. And you're hoping that there's going to be some kind of love connection. For some of you, you're waiting on a job or something for your work. And you see your bank account and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so sad. All the applications you've sent out, all the interviews you've had, and you're just stuck waiting. Maybe you're waiting on a house, right? Housing market ain't so great no more, right? 7% is high APR, sorry. But you're scrolling through, you're looking through Zillow, you're looking through Redfin, you're trying to find a place that you, your family can live in, uh, somewhere where you can afford that's not breaking the bank, and there's so much criteria, and you're just waiting for something in the right criteria. And I think for a lot of us, we're always kind of waiting on some kind of news, right? News about a baby. We've had a lot of babies recently. News about a family member. We're a family. There's always something happening. And news about changes. Change happens literally all the time. And sometimes we're immensely excited. We're looking forward to whatever's about to come. But I think we have the flip side, right? Where we're just worried and we don't want to hear what's next. We all have to wait. And those moments, whether they're big moments of like, I'm waiting for years, or just small, small moments, they all feel like forever. And so today, as we look into the book of Luke, we have to see Israel and understand that they waited too. They waited forever for Jesus, their Messiah. He was supposed to be their war hero, their redemption in defeating all the enemies around them. And so after 400 years of silence and waiting, let's just pause. 400 years. How long is U.S. history? About 270, right? Oh, no, I did my math wrong. 250. That's almost two U.S.'s. If we look in the lifetime of a person, average is around 80. That's seven, like, no, I, didn't, I can't do my math. That's five lifetimes where God, for them, is just silent. Where God doesn't do any miracles, he doesn't speak to anyone, he doesn't have any kind of prophetic word, and there's no scripture written. And in their 400 years of waiting, Israel, dude, they just get beaten down. If you go to the next slide, oh, that's perfect, right there, right? 333 B.C., they fall to the Greeks. 323 B.C., they fell to the Egyptians. 204 to 165 B.C., they're captured by Syria. Most of the priesthood is actually enslaved by Syria. And then 63 B.C., well, luckily they have a few years of, of nice peace. But boom, Rome takes over. 
Rome takes over everything. They even take over the temple. The temple no longer belongs to Israel. This is Rome's property. And so imagine that. 400 years. And their weighted Messiah that's supposed to free them from all their enemies. And instead, they're just trampled on by everyone. And it's understandable. And like sometimes we, we thrash Israel. But man, it's so understandable that in their waiting for the Messiah, it was just natural for more and more of Israel to give up on waiting. And they actually found other ways and other things apart from God in that time. So if you go to the next slide, we'll see this. There's a whole bunch of groups of Israels, and one by one, they kind of slowly just find something else. The Sadducees, instead of waiting on God's power and might, they became Israel's version of American cultural Christianity, right? They use the name of Judaism, but it's really just for their own government power, their own government authority. The Pharisees, right, instead of waiting on, instead of waiting on God's righteousness and seeking his salvation, they went the other way of being super and hyper-religious and only cared about the law and how much they knew the law. And that the law was the thing that would save them. The zealots of Israel, instead of waiting on God to free and liberate them, they would ransack parts of Rome. They would destroy homes. They would burn working Roman establishments, all in the name of liberation. The tax collectors of Israel, instead of waiting on God to provide for them, to bring the finances, well, They see Rome, and they're like, well, Rome is powerful, and they have all the money. So all the tax collectors, they jump ship, right? They start collecting tax for Rome. And the apostle Matthew, he was a prime example of that. Most of Israel, right, in their waiting for God, chose something else. And for us, we can do the same. We're waiting, we give up waiting, and instead we just go to whatever else we can see first. You know, I I say these as examples for my friends, but, and I've kind kind of gone through this one. After a bad few relationships, maybe dates, instead of waiting on the person God has for us, we give up. Like, it's been too long, it's too hard to process, and like, it's just, dating is rough. And so we stop waiting. We don't pursue intentional dating. And actually, I would say it's a lot easier for a lot of people to just be promiscuous. I have a few flings here and there. No strings attached. You do it, you're done. Right? And we see this. We see this in our coworkers. We even see this in the church sometimes. After going from job to job, right, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. And instead of waiting on God for direction on your career or what's next, we just choose to stop searching. We choose to stop asking God, where do you want me, Lord? And it becomes more of a matter of just doing what everyone else is doing, right? You work up the social ladder. You work up the work hierarchy. And God is no longer a concern. What he wants, where he wants you, what he's calling you to, you just don't think about it. Or even after being hurt by the church. And church conflict is it's just a real thing. I think most of us have experienced some kind of church conflict. And instead of waiting and believing in God that he'll help us either find healthy resolution or just like a better community, sometimes you do have to leave. 
we just become cynical. We stop going to church. And we isolate ourselves and believe that, hey, I could just do this walk of faith on my own. I don't need anyone else. Because all they're going to do is hurt me. Church, when we consider all the things we waited on, for, on God for, right, the things for him to do, the things we've just prayed, prayed over and over again, when we think about those things, the reality is that it is hard to wait. And it's so much easier to just find something else. And so the question is posed to us as faithful people of the Lord. How do we wait then on the Lord? How do we wait on him? And I want us to think about Israel because it was hard for them and we have, we have huge empathy for them. Dude, they went through a lot. But I want to highlight two Israelites that even though the rest of Israel was like, we're done. They stuck around. And these two Israelites, Simeon and Anna, they continued to wait on God despite all the circumstances, despite Rome completely taking over their home. Simeon and Anna, they get what difficulties look like. They know what trials look like. And yet they still remain examples for us to follow. And so if you have your Bibles, and if not, everything's on the, on the board, on the board, on the screen, you can open to Luke 2, verse 22 to 40. In 22 to 24, we see Jesus, right? He's a baby. The Messiah is alive, and he is being dedicated by his parents, Mary and Joseph. But from this happening, right, it's already significant. Jesus is in the temple. We see Simeon and Anna, these two faithful Israelites who have waited all their lives for Jesus, and their reactions are what we want to focus their way of living is what we want to focus on today. So we start in verse 25. We'll just jump a little bit down. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, just quick pause here. Now, it's important to consider this. Now, a lot of us are young. None of us are too old. But the reason why the Holy Spirit has to intercede and tell him, hey, you're going to live to see this, is because he's on the last legs of his life. So imagine being on the deathbed, right? Or being knowing that it's going to end soon for me. And you just need something or someone to tell you you're, it's going to be all right. This is that for him. And so we continue verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought out the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in the arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what he said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Verse 36, Anna comes into the picture. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. Now, Anna is one of five women prophets in the Old Testament, or in kind of Old Testament, New Testament. Only one of five. So she's special, and we want to see why she's so special. 
We continue. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Simeon and Anna are perfect examples of, for us on how to wait. Because they're old. And old people, right, we always learn from the older people. But it's not just because of that, right? We don't go to an old person and say, like, I follow you because you're old. It's because of all the experience that they had, right? It's because they've done all the things you might be looking forward to doing. They've lived out so much more life. And so we go to our seniors asking, like, hey, I'm trying to look forward to life. And I just kind of need your experience to help me with that. And so they've lived almost all their lives. Anna's 84. At that time, she should be dead already. Like, Simeon, we already know he's at the edge of his life. Like, and this is what they're waiting for. They spend their whole lives waiting, and that's exactly why they're perfect for us. Because our waiting, if you're in a season of waiting right now, it probably won't end very soon. I'm, I hope it does. But things are going to constantly come up, and we're going to always be waiting on the Lord. And so that's why it's that much more important to learn how to wait on the Lord now so we can do it for a lifetime. And so how then do we wait on the Lord? Well, one, if we're to follow their example, we wait expectantly. Verse 25, you can go to the next slide. Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. And when we think of waiting, sometimes it's like sitting in a doctor's office and you're just passive, right? You just sit there. But when we actually look at the Greek, waiting is like a mood. It's like a mood of anticipation. A lot of times when we wait, right, it's like being like ready. Or, or I like to translate it, and some translations do say it. They say readily waiting. I'm a, now, I'm a tennis coach, okay? And I'm a pretty good player, too. Most of the boys can attest to it because I beat them up. Um, not physically, but, like, in tennis. So, like, my serve is, like, around 100 miles per hour. And that's the same with Josh over here, too. He's got a big serve, too, right? And if one of my players challenges me, right, and he's going to be like, okay, coach, I'm going to return your serve, he better be ready, or they better be ready, girl or boy. Like, they can't be, like, with their hands in their pockets, the the racket's on their side, <laughs> right? They're nonchalant. Their feet are glued to the ground, and they're just, like, looking all over the place, right? That's not what it looks like to be ready. No, if they want to return my serve, they have to have that racket up. Their feet are positioned, right? But they're loose, right? They're ready. They're loose and ready. But the most important thing is that their eyes have to be looking. They have to know that that ball is going to go up, and when it comes up, in a split second, it's done. The ball's going at them. And if they're not ready, it's just going to happen. And they're going to miss. Right? I talked about this already. Michelle waiting for a ring. Right? She's also very ready. <laughs> right? And for all the ladies, I asked Michelle if I can share this. Uh, if there's one thing I learned for, for pastors, you got to make sure your spouse knows before you share about them. Um, I know. It's rough. Um, but Michelle knows a ring is coming, right? And she's finding ways to get ready for it. 
She goes to the salon, gets her nails done, right? It's got to look perfect for the photos. She just recently got a personal trainer, and she's like, I want to be more fit. Make sure in all the photos I look good, and then even down the road when we get married, dude, I'm going to look great in that dress, right? She's super prepared. And then she goes around now, like, and I, I feel like I face this more than she does, but she goes around and she tells everyone, she's like, hey, everyone's going to propose. Hey, make sure he knows, hey, make sure you keep telling him, bother him about it. And so she'll go to her, like, her parents, she goes to her friends, she goes to my friends, which are her friends now too, um, and everyone now is expecting me to put a ring on it. Everyone now is being like, Erwin, when are you going to do it? Well, how are you going to do it? When's the, when are you going to tell me the details? And I'm like, oh, this is too many questions. Um, but that's what it looks like when we wait expectantly on the Lord, right? Because we believe that God can do something, will do something. Now, it's not always on our timeline. It's not always in the way or the fashion that we want it to be done. But we wait readily knowing that our God is going to do what is best for us. And he is always faithful to accomplish that. And when we know he's faithful, I feel like it's a natural response for us to also wait faithfully, right? That when he is faithful, we wait faithfully. You can go to the next slide. Verse 25, Simeon is said to be devout. No worries, you can go to the next one, yeah. Verse 25, Simeon is said to be devout and righteous. This means he was committed to the Lord, and only the Lord. That's super important. And his life was consistent with his devotion, right? Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, even when the Lord isn't looking. Think about it. Israel has been, it's been silent for them. They don't know if God is present. That's why so many people walked away. And yet, even when it seems like the Lord's not looking, Simeon is righteous. In verse 37, Anna, it says this, Anna has never left the temple. And I want us to go back. Anna is what? She's a prophet. And prophets are in the business of what? They know what God has to say. They're usually God's messenger, God's speaking piece. And so if anyone knows anything about communicating with the Lord, about being present with him, it's a prophet. And Anna knows this about the temple, that the temple is where God dwells. This is where God's presence is found. And so where do we find her? Where does she never leave? She never leaves the temple because that is where God will be, right? Anna is faithful because she believes in a faithful God that will show up. I've been talking a lot about Michelle and I. I'm still going to talk about it because, you know, the wait is over, y'all. But Michelle and I are both really busy people, though. Like, even though we're talking about marriage and everything, we both have two jobs. She works 60 hours a week. I work 60 hours a week. Um, Maybe more. Depends. And so there's just not a lot of free time for the both of us to be together, right? And so what we've had to, like, kind of work out is, like, uh, maybe I won't see you this week. Maybe I won't see you that week. But what we really had to work on is our trust for each other, right? If I'm not seeing her for a week, what is she doing in that week? Yeah, we might talk about it at night, but I don't know everything. And likewise, right, if I'm gone out hanging out with whoever, doing whatever, she doesn't know every detail. And she has to immensely trust me without seeing me, without knowing every detail of my life. That might change in marriage, but, you know, married people can tell me that later. <laughs> and when we think about marriage, and this is going to continue, 
right? This doesn't change. Our schedule, work schedule probably won't change for either of us. We're just like holding on to this hope, right? That we know our schedules aren't going to align. We're realistic about that. But we look forward to like the one or the two hours where we're just at home, just us. Where we're not doing work, because I'm doing work and I take it home, pastor life, you take, you take work home. Um, where she's not thinking about nursing, she's out of the hospital, and it's just us two, and we get to be intimate, and we just get to love and hear each other's stories and be present for one another. I think our relationship with God and, and how we wait for him works the same way. That even when we wait, we're not looking at anything else but God himself. And we remain devoted to him, and we do everything possible to be where he is, just like Anna. Because we believe in the small moments of simply being together with the Lord. And those small moments just remind us, they keep us, they hold us together, that we are devoted to him. And I think for most of us, right, sometimes it's, it's in reading the word. But I think really, I've personally found it in worship and prayer. And I think Anna and Simeon have too, and that's why we also wait in worship and prayer. Because worship and prayer brings us back to who God is. Verse 37, okay? We know Anna has never left the temple. But what does she do while she's there? She worshiped. She prayed. She fasted night and day, nonstop. And it honestly just shows how faithful she was in her waiting. But even more so, how much she believed God was faithful in her waiting. She believed God was faithful and he was present, right? If God's not present, she has nothing to pray to. Her prayer goes into the air and it goes nowhere. There's no object of worship. There's no object of prayer. But she does it continually. She prays and she worships even though God has been silent for 400 years for Israel because she believes that God is faithful and he is working. She continually worships, she prays, she fasts, and in that, she's probably thinking, and I think we see it in her actions, that God would say what he said he would do, that God is faithful to do what he said he would finish. And in my relationship with Michelle, Mind my language, but I'm kind of like God. I know, right? You're all like, oh my gosh, heresy. But it's just an analogy. Let me explain. Right? There are always things she doesn't know I'm preparing for. Right? She doesn't know how I'm preparing to propose. She doesn't see my account or my heart both drop at the same time, right, when I'm paying for that ring. I know, it's rough. Even thinking about it now. She didn't see me scramble and panic to try to contact her parents, right? So I actually got sick when her parents were in town. So I had to be like, hey, hey John, Johnny, can you, Johnny's her younger brother. Can you give me her parents' number? And I'm fumbly just asking for the number. And then, so he's like, okay, 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 okay. So he's like, we're putting it in. And then finally I call them and I'm just like, like, I can't talk. And they, the first thing they say is, who is this? <laughs> right? I'm a mess. <laughs> she doesn't know all my planning 
everything I'm doing to communicate to everyone, my photographer, my videographer, who's setting this up, who's setting that up, everything, right, I'm, tr I'm, I'm planning and making happen. She doesn't know any of that. <laughs> and she just has to trust that I will do what I said I would do, right? That that moment that I get down on my knee, one knee, and I propose, right? And it would be the most special day for her. She has to trust that I will do that. And for, and for Anna and Simeon, after all their waiting, after just years, a lifetime, God does exactly what he said he would do, and he does it in the most special way for them to. That after waiting expectantly, after waiting faithfully, after waiting in prayer and worship, they have this one glimpse, special glimpse of Jesus. And Simeon, what does he do? He holds Jesus, right? Even before he dedicates Jesus, he holds him. How many people get to hold the baby Jesus? And then when Hannah sees all of this, she doesn't even say anything to them. She just glimpses it from the side. She praises God, and she goes out and tells everyone else. It's like a knee-jerk reaction. That's Jesus. I've got to tell everyone. Jesus was what? He was their Messiah. Israel's consolation Jerusalem's redemption, everything Anna and Simeon have waited for. And in 400 years of waiting, a lifetime of waiting, just like that, the wait is over. It's done. It's fulfilled. And I know for some of us, right, we look at Anna and Simeon and we're like, wouldn't that be so nice? Just to get to the end, it's done. But instead, we're caught in this place that we are still waiting on God. We are still waiting for him to do what he said he would do. And we're hoping that he just does it. But we're not there yet. Now, I know I'm young. And when I look at Anna and Simeon, they've waited all their lives. They're 80 plus. A lot of you here are older than me. I'm only 28. And so I'm still learning so much about what it means to just wait on the Lord. Some of you know better. Some of you are still figuring it out. But I'm only 11 years as a Christian, right? I thought about it, and I was like, how old is an 11-year-old? And, like, 11-year-old is pretty much like Nate. Yeah, Nate's right there, right? <laughs> Nate's 11 years old. So in spiritual age, I am still immensely immature, not to say that about you. <laughs> um, and I know so little. But I know for sure that the waiting, no matter how old I am, still feels hard. And what is that thing you're waiting for? Right? No matter how old you are, no matter where you are in your season, what are you waiting for? For myself, it's waiting for my family to know Jesus. Now, I've only cried one time, one time in church, ever in my entire life. And it was the day my grandma passed away. She passed away. Two hours later, I was at church service. 
And I just remember sitting in the back of the sanctuary, right? This is at our old location. It's, it's dark in the back. And Derek Wu, where are you, Derek? Uh, oh, he's right in front of me. That's God's plan. Um, but Derek is sitting right next to me, and I'm just bawling. And he's just awkwardly, like, I could tell, like, I could feel that, like, are you okay? Like, I could, like it's like the awkward, like, are you okay? Um, and I didn't know what to say because I honestly was not okay. My grandma wasn't a believer, right? And the thought of her passing and not knowing Jesus just opened the floodgates to me being reminded that my mom, my sister, my dad, all of them, extended cousins, aunts, relatives, don't know Jesus. And at the end of their lives, like, at the end of their lives, what happens? Like, we have a lot of cliches, right? When your family member is Christian, you kind of go and you tell them, like, you, you always say, like, and this is to comfort ourselves, and I, like, I get it, like, oh, I'll see you in eternity. Oh, I'll see you in heaven. Oh, they're with the Lord now. But imagine having parents in a family that don't know the, the Lord, and you just come to that fact, and you're just like, I can see no consolation in this. It matters absolutely nothing to me because it's not relevant to them. And I, I feel Paul's words even more strongly than ever of like, why me? Why can't it be them that knows Jesus? Why can't they be the ones? I would say if it means one life to save the rest, it's worth it. And it's been a long time, six years since my grandma passed, six years since I just bawled in service, and I haven't cried in service since because I'm a little bit emotionally cut off. I know. And I'm still waiting. Like, I've tried. Like, I've shared the gospel with my parents. I've invited them out to church. Uh, I, I try my best to be a good brother, a good son, and it's probably the worst thing I do. Um, but I try really hard. But I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting on for them, for them to know the Lord, to meet the Lord, and for me to be able to say the cliches so powerfully that I'll see them in eternity. But that day hasn't come yet, and I don't know when it will. I know for each of you here, you have a different situation, you have a different story, and you have something you're waiting for, and you haven't quite got to the end of it. And I hope that there is encouragement, but also sobriety and just knowing it's okay to continue waiting. I'm still waiting, and I, I think it's okay for you too. And so before I, I come off the stage today, I just want to offer um, some peace of mind. And I remember the day as I was in service and, you know, it's just hard to hear anything when you're crying because all you feel is yourself crying. But I remember these worship lyrics in particular really resonated with me. And, they, and worship does that, right? It says the things that we don't, we're not always able to say. And so in my waiting, when I can't say this, it said it for me. And I hope whatever you're waiting for, it can say it for you.
You can cast out demons. You can heal the blind. You can take a dead man, bring, raise him back to life. You can give me vision when I cannot see. Cause me to remember, help my unbelief. It's not if you are able, it's only if you will. But even if you don't, God, I will trust you still. Because you're good. I know you're good. What's best about these lyrics isn't that they tell us when our waiting ends. But they tell us that God is going to do something. It tells us that God, that we are to expect, be expectant on him when we less, least expect it. That it, te- it shows us to be faithful even when we lack faith. And it shows me, and I hope it shows you, to worship and prayer in a vulnerable place. In a vulnerable place. Because we have a good God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I love each and every person here. And Lord, I, I just can't imagine how much more you love them. And how much more in the difficulty of waiting, you want them to know how good you are to them. And so, Lord, each person at this church, each person visiting this church, Lord, Lord, I pray that they would be blessed with the knowledge that you are a good God. And in the midst of our difficult waiting, in the midst of everything that just doesn't seem quite there yet, that you are God that meets them in the waiting. Lord, we pray we would just meet you in our waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Erwin. Appreciate you hearing God's word from you this morning. We're going to take communion. Um, if, you don't, if you didn't get to pick one up, you could go ahead and raise your hand. Pastor Dave will uh, bring one to you. And um, I've, I don't think you've ever heard me say this if you've been to Renew for a long time, but I woke up this morning basically with a vision of how I wanted to um, use this space for communion. It was really clear, and I, I just believe that um, God wants to meet you in a special way today through his word, through Erwin's message, and through this time. So if you're willing... Um, I just want you to uh, put your communion kind of in front of you, close your eyes, and just open your hands uh, on your lap. Is that okay? Would you just do this uh, if you're willing to? Close your eyes, put your hands on your lap, and, and as you kind of quiet your heart, think about what you're waiting for and imagine that in your hands. Maybe it's the thing you can't share with the person next to you. Now, as you think about what's in your hands, I think about all the ways we could um, not wait well. Sometimes we take that thing in our hand and we just drop it and we reach for something else. 
Sometimes we take that thing in our hands and we close our fists to control it, to have it now. Sometimes we throw it away and uh, we're bitter. But this morning, I want us to take the thing we're waiting for, resolved or unresolved, and offer it to the Lord. Would you pray in whatever words you have to say, God, would you take whatever's in my hand and I give it to you, hands that are stronger and more loving and more wise than mine. After you've talked to God and if you're willing to have surrendered it to the Lord, would you go ahead and pick up the communion? As we surrender, maybe something that's super important to our life to the Lord, he gives us um, his son. That as we wait on God, he gives us himself. And we're reminded what it says in Ephesians that we have every spiritual blessing. That in our hands is the forgiveness of the Lord. Him shedding his blood and him dying on the cross to forgive us. In our hands is him welcoming us into fellowship with him. Into family. In our hands is a is a new world that's waiting for us where the things that we longed for and we can't have here, we get to see on the other side. God, we're all waiting for something and today we put down what we're waiting for in order to hold onto you. And we, we remember that you are sufficient, that you are good, and that you are enough. Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters. Some of them are waiting for really intimate things. For a child. To be married. For their kid to um, be okay. And Lord, as we wait together as a family, we hold on to you this morning. As we wait together as a family, we choose, like Anna did, to worship in the waiting. Would you take the bread that represents the blood of Christ broken for you, the body of Christ broken for you? Would you take the cup that represents his blood shed for you? Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. 
If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.